Hi everyone, my name is Laura and I'm going to be doing the Bible reading tonight. It comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 to 18. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who, is, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Well, hello everybody. I know we've taken in a fair bit tonight, so let me try and help. Let me try and help. I want to ask you if you're able, would you stand to your feet, please? Let's do this. Let's go. stand to our feet now. These are the actions you'll need. It goes like this. Can you do that? Yeah, you feeling it? Yeah, you're feeling it. That's beautiful. All right, so I'm going to go chugga, 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 chugga. And you, with all the breath God has put in your body, when I finish my chugga, chuggas, I want to hear a full-hearted, full of hot steam, toot, toot. All right, you ready? Here we go. Actions and all. Chugga, 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 chugga. Oh, you're beautiful. Take a seat. And I hope, I wanted to jog your memory a little bit because as you did your train actions, which you did so well, so well, and I give anyone here permission to call me the fat controller for the next week because you were so faithful in following my train instructions. Last week, we jumped into Hebrews chapter 2 and I suggested to you that a great way to understand Hebrews and the structure of this book is like a train track. Two rails, one warnings, one encouragements designed to keep us on track and heading towards our destiny. That is what the writer to the Hebrews wants. He wants us to persevere and make it. So, if the way we're travelling is by train, it makes sense in my brain at least that we would start to do some thinking about where we're coming from and where we're going. And that's precisely what we pick up in the rest of Hebrews 2 tonight. So we understand we're on this kind of train trip with warnings and encouragements that are meant to get us there. 
Let me take a moment as we dive into Hebrews to try and help us understand where we're going. Okay, have a look at this. Like any good journey, we need a starting point. And as Hebrews opens up with verses uh, 6 to 8, this describes the journey. I don't know if you've noticed our beloved senior pastor, Ian Barnett, from time to time likes to quote some old songs. Yeah, you picked up on that? Good, me too. Um, That's because he's a very biblical man. This passage keeps picking up on old songs. It keeps quoting Psalms. Must be a good thing to do. Praise be to God and thanks to Ian. Uh, So... It picks up on an, old, on an old song, Psalm 8, where the psalmist says, Hey God, you're amazing. You set your glory in the heavens. And you know, God, when I think of the stars and the things you've created, and I consider us as humans, I, I just say, What even are we that you care? What is the Son of Man that is us people with belly buttons us creatures who came from creatures under a creator, why do you even bother with us? It explains our journey using this, what I'm going to call SOM, son of man language, to explain us as starting not in a humiliated spot. Sometimes in history we've been confused as humans how to understand ourselves. We seem to bounce from narcissism and just one selfie too many to, yeah, humanity sucks, we're the worst. Or the philosophers who said, and we're made of matter and stuff and the earthly realm is rubbish and we want to be heavenly. That's not what's happening here. It's not humiliation. It's just humility. The psalmist says, God, with all the amazing stuff you've created and with your incredible glory... How do you, how you, in your magnitude, still have time to bother with us who are quite earthly and quite basic? There are things more splendorous. But these opening verses go on to explain that this isn't where God intends to leave us. No, no, there's a destination at the end and he says that for these sons and daughters of men, these people with belly buttons, these lowly ones, he wants to crown them with glory. And he wants to place all things under their feet. This is the, the world, this amazing world that... Oh, I'll put Australia in the middle, that was a mistake. Doesn't matter, that's the world. God wants to take us from this lowly beginning to this glorious crown place. Now already you might go, I'm not an egomaniac, I don't need to be glorified. But it's not egotistical glory. This is the God of relationship who has made things wonderful and says, I want you to come to my party. I want you to be a part of it. Though I might have created you a little lower than the angels, not quite as splendorous, I want to raise you up and put you in this place, this space where you'll be in my fatherly care, in the heavenly realms, and things will be wonderful. No one's an egomaniac, but we're all basking in the glory of my love. Sound all right? Because if it doesn't, I'd go home, watch whatever's on TV Sunday night. I haven't seen Sunday night TV for a few years now. This is the journey. This is where God wants to take us. From a little lower than the angels, earthlings, to his glorious children, with all things placed under our feet. This is where we're going. There are two words that are going to be really important tonight. As you read on in this passage into verse 8 and verse 9, two little words that significantly affect the life of everybody who has ever had a pulse. Yet... And but, the passage goes on 
like any good journey, it not only shows you where it starts and where it finishes, it gives you a heads up on where you are. You know, like if you were giving someone directions to our church from Sydney, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, come down the Princess Highway. On the left, you're going to see Chico's, so stop in because they're awesome. Um, And then hang a right at the roundabout. But Chico's will help you know where you are. So again, our passage says, verse 8, Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to humanity. We don't yet see humanity in this space. So when we look at our journey, there seems to be a big blocker here. We'll say verse 8, yet. We don't see this glorious end. This resonated powerfully for the first hearers of this message, for they are a people who are under persecution. They're thinking, all things under our feet and glorious. We're people who hide out in underground churches so that people don't kill us. And there are Christians who have the same story today. In fact, you may not be aware, 80% of the world's persecution is directed toward people who claim the name follower of Jesus. So the message is, yes, there is a journey, yet we don't see the glory yet. It's like you're steaming down your railway tracks, fully committed, but in the distance, there's a pretty solid-looking triple brick wall. And you think, that's impeding the progress. I, I can, I've heard about the glorious destination, but how are we going to get there with this great big wall? It's a great big yet. We read on and find another word that's important, and that word is but, in verse 9. It says, you might not see the glory yet, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while. It sounds like he's on the journey. Made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here's the picture. The picture is of a journey that God has planned out for us. And as we look down the track, we see a very intimidating blocker. That's our yet. However, at the same time, as we look at this intimidating blocker, you look and you see just this glint of light. Something's been through it. That something is Jesus. Yet we don't see the glory, but we do see one who has completed this journey. And just maybe there is hope. That's tonight's message. Let me show you exactly where we're going. If uh, you give your attention to the screen, you'll see the objective tonight. What the writer to the Hebrews would love for us to understand is that God has got us on a journey. God wants us to see that journey complete with him. And what he is speaking to us specifically about in Hebrews chapter 2 is that the hope for the journey is one that he calls a pioneer. The pioneer, the one who went first, who broke through the barrier wall. Here's the pioneer. Let's jump in at verse 10 and understand, as the writer would like us to, the work and the person of this pioneer. Verse 10 might make you feel a little bit weird. Let's have a look at it together in the next slide. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that is, in bringing us to completion on this journey, the author says, well, it was fitting that God, whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now, immediately you might have a question. You might be saying, wait a minute, if Jesus is the pioneer, 
how come he needs to be made perfect? Isn't he perfect already? Isn't he fully complete? You would be right. You haven't made an error. Yes, Jesus is perfect in every way without sin. We need to let this, this sentence speak what it means. It describes for us a pioneer. Now, a pioneer is a particular kind of leader. You find out pretty quickly in leadership, it's not always about being out front and centre. Sometimes the best thing in the world you can do as a leader is just get out of the way. Stand to the side, go, Whoa, this is great, keep going everybody. Have you ever had a leader do that? And it's helpful. Sometimes the most important thing a leader can do is not be at the front line, but be making sure everything is working at headquarters, coming up behind and following on. But every now and then, perhaps when you need to break new ground, there's a particular kind of leader that's very important, and that's a pioneer. The, the image that comes to mind is kind of like from one of those like old Indiana Jones type movies where there's like a series of booby traps. And we need to get from here to there, past like the swishing swords and big rocks that are going to smash us to death, to get to the treasure on the other side. And so the first guy goes, I'll do it. Head chopped off, dies, gory, yuck. Don't follow that guy. Doesn't know how to do it. They wait till someone figures it out, usually Indiana Jones. He'll be a pioneer. He'll be the one who goes first through the trap, figures it out, figures it out and gets there. This is what the passage is speaking of. In Jesus, we have the one who would go first and starting is great. The language of perfect here is the language of reaching maturity or reaching the finish line. So imagine this. In order to get my beloved humble people from humility to glory, I'm going to send someone first. If that one's going to lead the way, then it makes sense that they start. It makes even more sense that they finish. This is not to suggest that there was any problem with Jesus, just to say that Jesus completed this all-important journey. He is the beginner and he is the finisher and he is the one who made it all the way. So I hope you'll be a little bit encouraged. Regardless of what's down the track and you think, gee, glory and stuff like that, I'm not sure that's for me. I'm not sure God's powerful enough. I'm not sure I'm good enough. I hope there's a part of you that will at least see, well, God's done it with one. He's done it with Jesus. He brought Jesus, the human, from, glory, from humility to glory because Jesus went through the big boundary marker of the journey. He died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again and is now seated in glory at the right hand of God the Father. So you go, okay, good for Jesus. Yay, Jesus. You made it, Jesus. In the same way you might say, isn't it cool that Superman can leap tall buildings in a single bound, but I'm not about to try? Just because Superman can do it doesn't mean I can do it. I'd probably pull a hammy or something. It would be awful. wouldn't work out. Great for Jesus. Here's what Hebrews chapter 2 wants us to learn. Not only is there a pioneer who made it, there is a pioneer who is like you, who is human. Here's what I want you to know. In this journey, this journey that has a big yet in it, where we don't see the glory yet, we have Jesus who punched a U-shaped hole 
through any barrier between you and a glorious space with God. Let me explain the U-shaped hole. Jesus is able to make a way for me and able to make a way for you because he identifies as human. Let me try and do a little sermon within a sermon because it's important for us to understand. Identity is a difficult thing for us to get our heads around today. I reckon in a number of ways it's far more difficult as you grow up today to sort out your identity. Hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands of years ago, it was pretty easy, it was pretty set. What are you going to do with your life? What's your work going to be? Easy. Imagine Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he's at high school, goes to see the careers advisor. Hey, careers advisor, what's up, Jesus? Take a seat, because the careers advisor in Nazareth was one of those teachers who tries to be cool. Hey, dude, sit down, you know, all that sort of stuff. Jesus sits down. Uh, So I'm trying to work out my career, sir. What should I do? What does your dad do? He's a carpenter. Guess what? You're going to be a carpenter. That's how it worked for ages. What your dad did, that's what you do. His dad, Joseph, scratching his head thinking, I wonder who I'm going to marry. His dad walks in and says, Great news, son, we've arranged that for you already. Young girl called Mary, you're going to love her. In many cultures, working that sort of stuff out, you don't have to do it. Someone does it for you. Just watch an old movie. Everyone's wearing the same outfit. They don't mean ancient old. Just not that long ago, there's all these dudes, they all seem to wear suits, even like on their day off. It's weird. But they're all dressed kind of similar, same hat, same suit. It's all pretty bland. It's not my intention to condemn nor commend these cultures, but just to say it was, there were less options and it was pretty simple. It's like, that's who you are and that's how you go. Today, far out. So many decisions in front of us and so if you're wrestling with your identity and stuff like that, I, I think that makes sense. There's a lot of options and it's difficult. We, we all play on social media where we, you can you sort of build your identity. We play games where you choose your avatar. More and more people sometimes want to change their name, give themselves their own name. And it can be really difficult. Jesus didn't just come out of heaven and say one day, I'm God, but from now on I want to identify as human. Let me tell you a story. Uh, I, I caught up with a friend over the weekend. We were racing our bikes up in Sydney. My friend raced at the World Championships last year in the women's sprint. She came fourth in the world, which is quite an achievement. What was difficult for her is that the woman who actually won that race uh, had lived at least the first 25 to 30 years of her life as a man and has decided to now identify as a woman. Well, our cycling community is quite divided over that. I was one of the people who said, this is just not fair. The physiology doesn't work out. Now, it's not up to me, and I may be right, I may be wrong. The point is, when one person made a a lone decision to simply identify, there was a lot of mixed opinion in the community and it's quite difficult to work out, well, are you really? Here's what Jesus does. He doesn't just pop out of his bedroom in heaven one day and say, look, I'm going to be this. No, he identifies by means of how he participates in relationships and in community. This is beautiful. Look at verses 11, 12 and 13 and, and see what Jesus says 
of humans, what he says to humans and what he does with humans. Jesus in verse 11 is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters because they are of the same family. He says, okay, I'm going to be identified as human because I'll be counted amongst you all. I will be found where you are found. We will be one family. He goes on and says, I'll declare the name of God. So he says to them, you are my brothers and sisters. I will declare the name of God to my brothers and sisters. So what I will do is not just count you as brothers and sisters. I will stand with you again in relationship and we will worship the divine together. I'll declare him to us and I will take a human position with you and then I will praise him with you. Jesus doesn't say, but actually I'm secretly God as well, so I'm just going to go on this side of the fence while you all praise me. No, he says, I'm going to stand with you and we'll praise God together. He participates and grounds his identity in his relationships. Verse 13, he says, I will trust in you. Jesus says, I will surrender myself fully, lay aside my glory and live the life of a righteous human who lives by faith and trusts in the Lord even to the point where they take my life. I stay dead unless my Father sends his Holy Spirit to raise me in power. I'm going to be legit human. And here I am with the people God has given me. I'll be responsible for these ones as well. I am fully in this game through relationships. Jesus is able to punch a U-shaped hole through any blockage between our humble position and glory because he is like you and he is like me. Jesus is the one who verses 14 to 17 tells us has taken on the same type as us. The passage says because the children are flesh and blood... So he also had to be flesh and blood. (laughs) Here's the thing that's hard when you're Jesus. When you become the same species as humans and join their realm, you take on their type, you also take on their troubles. Let me slow down and read through this. Verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity. What is it to share their humanity? So that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. The reality for every human being, which is just so stark, is that we all die. It's just a reality. Jesus, by his death on the cross has smashed into the great blocker of the happy ever after for a human. He's smashed into death. What happened? On the third day, his tomb was found empty. A human smashed through that great blocker called death. He got to the other side. He lives again. He smashed a U-shaped hole through the blocker of death. But more than that, the passage goes on to speak about the fear of death. I don't know how much time you spent contemplating the fear of death, either intentionally or just by actions unintentionally, but I think we all do it from time to time. Jesus did. Man, Jesus was in a garden called Gethsemane. Knowing what was ahead of him, he cried tears that were like blood. He cried tears and his sweat was like blood, I should say. He cried out to his father and said, no problem, I know on the third day I'm coming back. I paraphrase, but the words are something like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die. 
But if that's, got, if that's what you've got for me, God, if that's your will, Father, then I'm stepping into it. Here is a genuine human, crippled with fear, sweating like blood, crying tears, crying to his father, like anyone would cry to a good dad, I don't want to die, dad. And then he stepped forward. He stepped forward into that blocker, the fear of death. And when he stepped forward, he stepped through. He punched a U-shaped hole through the fear that sometimes stops us from pressing into what God has for us. Jesus is the one who is truly human like you and I. Verse 17 speaks of his great achievement at the cross. The great blocker for humanity dwelling in the glory of God is sin. Verse 17 speaks of a thing called the atonement. That's biblical language for paying the price, paying the debt of sin. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, he punched a U-shaped hole through the sin that alienates us from God. This is my Jesus. This is your Jesus. This is Jesus who is the hope for the journey. This is Jesus who shares our common experience. Verse 18 tells us that he knows what temptation is. Man, this is Jesus who is in the desert fasting 40 days, tummy rumbling, feeling hungry, not 40-hour famine, 40-day famine. And when the Satan came to him and said, turn these rocks into bread, he said, you know what, That's probably a, that would satisfy my tummy, but I'd rather go God's way. Jesus is a man who knew what it was to be able to imagine an easier path, that is temptation, but chose God's way. He gets it, friends. He gets it. He gets what it is to be scared. He gets what it is to be dead. And he gets what it is to be tempted. And he steps forward and punches a U-shaped hole through any blocker you might see between you and God bringing you to a glorious space. I love the way verse 16 sums it up. For surely it's not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. You're like, what? Sometimes we think Jesus is for the angels, or Jesus, my interpretation, is for the really good ones. I know no one's perfect, but Jesus will get those good people to heaven. This passage says Jesus busts an Abraham's descendant-shaped hole. You're like, I'm not even Jewish. Abraham was a dude with a significantly blotted copybook. I know he's the father of faith and all that sort of stuff. This is the dude who is known as an idolater. That is, he worshipped other gods. This is a dude. This is a dude who slept with another woman. So idolatry, idolatry. This is a guy who lied about the relationship with. His copybook is not one that you might necessarily want, though you might have it already. Whether you want it or whether you've got it, I want you to know that Jesus has punched a that-shaped hole through any blocker that stands between you and glory. He hasn't come to help the frozen chosen get to heaven. He's come so that anybody who, like Abraham, despite their copybook, is able to trust in him, can chug-a-lug-a-lug-a their whole way with him to glory. 
The message tonight is that God has a journey for each and every human. He wants to take us from humility to basking in the glory he has set before us. The message tonight is that, yes, we see that there is a blocker. Our fears, our doubts, whether they be doubts over God or doubts over our own worth or doubts over our identity or whatever we're struggling with. The but is, but Jesus went first and that pioneer finished and that pioneer is like you and that pioneer smashed a U-shaped hole through any blocker. So when you look down the track and you see this horrible wall in front and you think, (laughs) I'm not going to make it, but I see a glint of light, I assure you, I promise you, as God is my witness, that as you come up towards that blocker, you'll see it's not just a glint of light. You'll see it's a U-shaped hole that you can easily move through because God will bring you through it and he will bring you to glory. That's why we say Jesus is greater. And so we come to a but yet point. Sooner or later along the the train line, you'll see one of these. It's a point of decision, isn't it? It's a point where the train will continue on its journey or a switch might be switched and it will go on another path. Yet we don't see it now, but we do see Jesus For the original hearers, they were told, yes, you see persecution. It would be easier to switch track right now. Come away from being a Christian. Just be a Jew again. It's much safer. For you and I, sometimes you might think, my doubt is too, too much. Too many people don't like some of the views that I have as I follow God. I'm going to switch track. Brothers and sisters... Hear Hebrews chapter one verse sorry, chapter two verse one. We must therefore pay much more careful attention to what we have heard. Stay on track. Don't give up. Don't drift away. Don't get sidetracked. Don't choose a liberal gospel where you take some of what Jesus says and not the other stuff. Let me say, sometimes on a journey, on a train trip, like on the, on the Hogwarts Express, sometimes someone might come around with chocolate to go, anything from the trolley? And you go, yes, that'll be nice, that'll make the journey more pleasurable. Sometimes God does that. This is not about feel bad if God's giving you a lovely ride to heaven. That's okay. But don't confuse the treats along the ride for the ride. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we'd rather have the comfort. Sometimes we'd rather have the nice stuff. Switch track. Too hard following Jesus. Stay on track. Pay more careful attention to what we have heard, lest you don't drift away. Jesus is greater than any fear, greater than any earthly problem. Jesus is the great saviour, the perfect pioneer of the human journey to glory. Pay careful attention to follow him and he will bring you home, lest you drift away. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for his amazing love. We thank you that he is the pioneer, the author, and as the writer to the Hebrews says elsewhere, the perfecter of our faith. We thank you that he has come through to the other side. We thank you that he has punched an us-shaped hole through any blocker between you and the glorious end you have in mind for us. And so, Father... We pray tonight that we may pay more careful attention to the message of salvation in him alone that we have heard. 
Father, we pray for every heart that is struggling, whether that's doubt with an own worth or a doubt of your power, we pray that we might look to Jesus, see the one who is greater than any of these things and trust that he will and he can and he is bringing us home. And so, Father, we pray that none of us should drift from this wonderful journey you have set out for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Shane.